and welcome to the Two Gals in a Mic podcast. I'm your host, Sue Curver, and today I'm chatting with Karen Cook, an incredible woman who's devoted her life to helping military members, veterans, and their families. As an Air Force veteran herself and a mother of two, Karen has created opportunities for members of the armed forces to find hope and healing. Karen, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. You have had a really interesting career that started in the Air Force and eventually led you to Charleston, South Carolina, which is where you are now. Tell us a little bit about that journey. Um, after I graduated high school, decided I needed to see the world. So I joined the Air Force um, and the Air Force sent me to Hill Air Force Base in Utah. I was with an F-16 unit there and it was an amazing career. Um, got married and that journey took us all over the country. Alaska was our furthest assignment. Um, finished my degree, taught for 22 years, decided that I needed to find a new career when I grew up and went into the nonprofit world. From there, we decided we were going to retire, moved to Charleston, South Carolina, decided we were too young to retire, and I got on uh, with the American Red Cross, and I am a program manager for Service to the Armed Forces. Yeah, and I want to talk about that because that is how we met when I was working at the VA in Charleston, South Carolina. You're working for the American Red Cross, and you are creating, and probably still are creating, all sorts of innovative programming for military members. And one of those programs that I know that you created was an art program that you started during COVID. What was that all about and why was that so important? So that actually started pre-COVID. Uh, we did it in person with different groups. We started with the STAR program um, at the VA in downtown Charleston. We moved over to the vet centers, and then we did individual groups, men's groups and lady groups. Then COVID hit, and we decided that we wanted to continue, so we did everything virtually. So we mailed the art kits out to the veterans who had been signed up, and we just did it on a Teams or a Zoom call, talked about nothing, and created beautiful art. So you used technology and innovation during yeah. a time when everything was shutting down. You were helping people open up. Yes, we just regrouped and did everything virtually. So how did that work? Pre-COVID, I'll scooch back just a second, we were also in the prisons. So we worked with inmates who were veterans. We did resiliency workshops and art therapy, and that was an amazing opportunity for us. And it was an amazing opportunity for the veterans to let them know that we still care about them. It just if we can spend an hour to an hour and a half with them and let them forget about everyday life and just do a little bit of therapeutic art. It's an amazing feeling. You said for both men and women, did you have a lot of participants who were interested in what kind of artwork did you make? During COVID, we had maybe 20 to 25, depending on the group. We had a lot more men, believe it or not, who wanted to do art than ladies. We built birdhouses during MST Awareness Month. We made baskets out of wooden blocks. We did face masks during PTSD Awareness Month. And we crocheted, we painted, we built moccasins, we sewed purses. Any kind of art that was suggested, we, we did. So you're talking about MST, which for our listeners, if you're not familiar with that acronym, it's military sexual trauma. And you're talking about PTSD, which of course is post-traumatic stress disorder. Did you have a lot of men who were participating in the MST activities? Because I know that traditionally we associate that with female veterans, but it's not limited to females. 
it is not limited to female. And I was under the impression that it was limited to female at, um, at the time when we first started these groups. And how I learned that men had it was during some of the discussions during our PTSD groups. Men got to know each other. They come back, you know, week after week. Some of the men have been doing, and women have been doing these programs with me for this, for six years. I have the same veterans that come back all the time and they get to know each other and they talk about things. And that's how it made me aware of men having MST. And so we've just continued that. We've kept the group separate. Obviously, men and women need that little bit of distance so they can feel free. They can share with each other, you know, peer to peer. We do have some groups that are co-ed, but not, not too many. And now that COVID is over and things are resuming, people are now meeting in person. Obviously, you know, it's been a couple of years. Have some of these people who had only met virtually now had the chance to meet in person? Some of our groups are back in person. Uh, we have a very large and strong group in the Myrtle Beach area. Um, a lot of the groups, especially the MST group for the females, we are virtual still because those ladies are all over the country. It's not just here in South Carolina. We are allowing them to join us from different locations. So was this a local program that ended up going national? It was. It was a program that I started in the Low Country meaning the Charleston, Buford, um, Myrtle Beach area. We expanded it through our state. It went into our whole division, which ma makes up 10 states, and then now it went national. So it is a national program. That's amazing. So now you have veterans from all over the nation who are interacting with one another on this virtual platform, doing art, sharing whatever they're sharing in a very safe and confidential space. Yeah. How does that make you feel, Karen, to have created something like this and have it now as a national program? It's amazing. And it's funny how it all started. I had just started with the Red Cross. I was at a conference in Baltimore and all the other states, which we call regions, they all own something at the VA. And I was determined that I was going to come back to South Carolina and I was going to own something. And I kept getting shot down, shot down, shot down. And then finally I said, you know what, can I just come in and do art? And it, that's where it took off. That's when I met you. And, you know, we, we brought in resiliency. We brought in art to the VA. And it has been very strong, supported programs since I've been here. Yeah, you know, even in my own experience, I've heard a lot about art therapy. I've actually done some art therapy and really enjoyed it. I love the medium and the opportunities to do something creative. And, you know, you keep bringing up this word resiliency, what does that mean? You know, we always talk about resiliency and resiliency makes us stronger. It teaches us coping skills. We have workshops that we call our resiliency workshops. We talk about how to effectively communicate, which a lot of us don't know how to do. You can take workshop after workshop and still not know how to communicate. So we have licensed mental health professionals who are volunteers who volunteer their time after their long days at work that have taken the training, they teach the programs that the Red Cross has come up with. And why is that important? They're teaching coping skills. They're teaching us how to communicate, how to deal with our anger, how to work through stressful situations um, with our active duty military, how to be okay when our spouse deploys for three, six, 12 months at a time. How do we get back into the swing of things when they come back? So it's teaching all kinds of coping skills. Um, art therapy, we don't talk about anything. We tell silly jokes or do 
friends trivia, whatever the case may be, we talk about absolutely nothing. It feels like a Seinfeld episode because we don't <laughs> talk about anything important and we just laugh at each other. You know, I have absolutely no talent when it comes to art. Now our volunteers who run the groups for us, they are amazing. They have come up with so many beautiful art projects. And fortunately I don't have to do them and I get them. That's awesome. Going back to COVID, you know, we're talking about innovative practices that came out of COVID, which was such a trying time. It was trying for everybody. I know that at the VA, because I was at the VA in Charleston during that time, we implemented a curbside delivery food program for veterans who may have been suffering with food insecurity. And you, through the Red Cross and through your work with volunteers, were a very important part of that program. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that was another cool thing that came, and I think that it's still going. It is still going, and it's going strong. So I remember when we talked about it, and we talked about how important it was to make sure our veterans were able to get food. Veterans who were susceptible to getting Ill, getting sick didn't have transportation. And as soon as I put the word out to the most amazing volunteers, they're like, yes, we can support this. And it also, it was twofold because we were making sure our veterans had what they needed. We dropped off art kits inside those bags of groceries. It was no contact. Your team came out of the building with the bags. They put them in the car. Our drivers took them and dropped them off at the doors. We, we called the veteran, just let them know we were there. Well, and I, I think that this was a really important program because we had a lot of veterans in the community that, especially during COVID, had to make some difficult decisions, right? And sometimes those decisions might be, do I pay my light bill or do I try to buy food? And so this curbside delivery program offered the opportunity to provide that necessary food and supplement um, things for veterans who may have been struggling even more during COVID. Oh, yes, definitely. And, you know, as part of service of the Armed Forces with the Red Cross, part of my job is helping veterans who are in need of uh, financial assistance. They need assistance with their rent or their mortgage or paying a utility bill or a phone bill. Um, we help connect them to resources that are available and that may be able to assist depending on their discharge or do they have a service-connected disability, things like that. So we do a lot of research to try to find those resources for them. Curbside delivery really helped the Red Cross stay in the view of the, the citizens of our area. Being out there driving the Red Cross vehicles and delivering the food still let the public know that we are out there and we still care. It's a wonderful partnership and we're still doing it. Do you have any stories that really hit home with you from that time? At first, it was very difficult because we would pull up into these apartment complexes in a Red Cross vehicle carrying grocery bags and we would be swarmed by people asking us for food. My job with the Red Cross is strictly the military, either veterans or active duty or the, and their family members and the National Guard. But, you know, the humanitarian part of it is we're going to help anybody who needs it. So I was able to help them, give them resources or say, hey, are you a veteran? If you get your care at the VA, contact this number. And if you're eligible, we're going to deliver you food as well. So the other side of that coin, and you mentioned this earlier, is that this was a partnership between the Red Cross and the voluntary service part of the VA, which is 
that part of the VA that works with volunteers to get donations and to help veterans through donations and volunteerism, et cetera. Why is working with military members and veterans so important to you? It's close to my heart. Being a veteran myself, being the daughter of a veteran, my father is a Marine veteran, proudly still wears his Marine jacket. My sister is a veteran. My brother's a veteran. One of my sons is a veteran, and I'm married to a veteran. So the veteran side is very dear and near to me. I love our active duty. I love our National Guard. We can't do anything without them. But the veterans are where my heart is. And speaking of veterans, so now we're at the beginning of this new year. We're into 2024. And you are also at the beginning of a new adventure. So you're making a move and you're choosing a bit of a different career path. What's on the horizon? I am, after six amazing years as a program manager at the Red Cross, I am transitioning over to voluntary services uh, at the VA in downtown Charleston. Super excited to be working um, with that group of individuals. It's going to be a little different working with the veterans and only the veterans, but I still get to do soliciting for donations and going out there and engaging with the public and making the veterans aware of all the programs that are available to them at the VA. It's, just, it's going to be a little different, but I'm super excited about it. Tell us a little bit more about voluntary services at the VA and what you expect to be doing. I'm hoping that I'll still be able to maybe create some new programs that the VA doesn't already do. I'll still get to work with volunteers, which I'm so excited about. I'm going to be doing a lot of outreach with the community, keeping those relationships going, making new relationships, and hopefully gaining a little bit more support. Is there any innovative idea that you have percolating that you would like to see implemented? I do. And a lot of it goes back to the resiliency. And I'm really hoping that the partnerships that I have with uh, the psychologists and psychiatrists with MUSC, which is right next door to the VA, as well as the mental health professionals at the VA, I'm really hoping that we can merge the two and keep these programs going. Maybe changing it just a little bit to suit more of the needs of the veteran, not so much the active duty, and just, just tweaking it just enough that it, this will be beneficial for our veterans. So on the podcast in 2023, I had a guest who talked a lot about post-traumatic growth. And part of post-traumatic growth really has to do with resiliency, with what you spoke about earlier with communication and learning to respond and instead of react, lots of wellness practices, et cetera. Do you have any thoughts about incorporating post-traumatic growth practices into what you're going to be doing at the VA? Or do you just see that aligned with the resiliency workshops? I'm not sure. Right now I see it aligning with it, but once I get in there and figure out what the need is and the opportunities already available. And if I can just, you know, brainstorm a little bit with the voluntary service staff to see what, what we can do to increase the livelihood and the, the wellness of our veterans. So we spent a lot of time talking about your career and mm -hmm. what you have done and what you are planning to do here in 2024. Let's shift a little bit to some more personal type of things. Now you and I, Karen, have spent a lot of time walking together. And as you know, when you have a walking buddy, you tend to share your hurts and your hopes and your desires. As a matter of fact, 
I remember before I moved to Montana, we spent countless hours on the beach as I pulled the little red wagon with my (laughs) old senior golden retriever, Odin. What are your hopes personally for 2024? Um, A new walking partner since my old partner deserted me. I guess I'm hoping for some personal growth. You know, my kids are grown. You know, my older son is starting a brand new career. My younger son is still enjoying his current career. So, you know, my husband and I are just kind of like enjoying life, enjoying each other and maybe taking a little bit of a step back, even though I'm starting a new phase in my life, a new career, if you will, just you know, some personal growth. You know, I'm glad that you brought your boys up because I was going to ask you about that. I know that you were transitioning, as you just said, from full-time motherhood to almost empty nester. Do you have any tips on that? You know, they both moved out and went to college. Luckily for me, they're six years apart. So I had one who went off to college and I still had one at home. So that that was kind of nice. And then when my second one went off to college, within a year, our oldest one moved to South Carolina when we moved to South Carolina, or about a year after we moved to South Carolina, I should say. And so I'm very fortunate to have him here in South Carolina with me. And then when our youngest son graduated during COVID, it worked out perfect for this mom because he was not going to New York City. He actually came home um, and lived here in South Carolina with us, got a bunch more certifications underneath his belt. And then when COVID restrictions got lifted, he, you know, found the career of his dreams. I've been so fortunate to have them both here. Now, are they going to stay here? Most likely not. (laughs) But you know, anything's possible, you know, give me give me five years, and I'll probably retire. And then we'll just get an RV and drive around and park in front of their doorstep and plug in and spend however long we want to be there with them. We talked about near term changes. Clearly, you have a lot going on in this new year and in the near term. But What's on your long-term horizon? Do you have anything on your bucket list? Yeah, my African safari that I have been planning for a year. It took six months to get my passport renewed. I got it in the mail two days ago. I'm super stoked. So now I'm in full-blown African safari planning mode. I would say about five years. I'll retire. My husband will be fully retired. And we're just going to travel and do us. Where do you want to go? I want to go back to Italy. Um, I would love to go to Scotland and Ireland, of course, my African safari. You know, I want to go hiking up in Canada. I know that doesn't sound like it's amazing, but I think Canada is beautiful. The scenery up there is just amazing. I just want to go hiking up in Canada. Well, you can come hiking in Montana. Definitely come hiking in Montana. And I don't even need a passport for that. (laughs) You do not. And (laughs) it is beautiful here as well. So what about the RV? Do you think that that's a realistic option? Yeah, I do. You know, we always joked about it when the boys were little and we kept saying, as soon as we retire and they're old, we're just going to get an RV and drive it around. And it's definitely in the horizon. We tried the boat. Now he wants an airplane. And I think once he gets his airplane, then it'll be the RV. Besides getting the airplane, what other steps do you have to put into place between now and then to try to realize these dreams? I need to retire. (laughs) (laughs) So as soon as I'm of the age to retire, I will be retired and we'll just, you know, play it day by day. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that too, Karen, but I have, I think I have a ways to go before I get there. I say five years is more like 10. (laughs) Well, we can dream. (laughs) So I love asking people for their insights and for their advice. And you've already given us quite a bit. You've done a lot in the last few years to improve 
your well-being and you just talked about in this new year you'd like to do some more personal growth you're making the move into a new career what kind of advice would you give to our listeners for pursuing the things that are important to them even if they seem impossible stay patient be a Gumby, take it day at a time and just be so flexible. I've done some things that I was didn't think I was ever going to get to do uh, with the Red Cross. I've got to deploy for disaster relief, which has been a huge eye opener. And, you know, just being part of the humanitarian relief organization is just so impressive. Find your niche, just go out there and just you know, do you, if you, if you try something and don't like it, try something else. I love the fact that you said, go do you. And if you try something and it doesn't work out, try something else. Because I know that you and I have had many a conversation about the what's next and how do we plug in and what do we do? As a matter of fact, during COVID, I was getting ready to go to Montana to go to fly fishing guide school. And I was uncertain if I would be able to go because of COVID. And I thought that it might get canceled. I did go and tried that as something that seemed a little bit crazy at the time. Fast forward a few years, we know how it all worked out. Uh, so that really is just you do you and maybe just try those things that seem interesting. Yeah. Get out of your comfort zone. Just do something. Get out there and volunteer at the VAs, the vet centers, go to the Red Cross, Go to a rescue ranch, feed animals, pet animals, go to the local SPCA and sit and hold puppies and kittens. You know, if you don't like it, you don't like it. You don't have to do it again, but you might love it. I mean, look where you are. Never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that I would have ended up in Montana teaching fly fishing for women. And it's amazing, right? You it you. is. And you did you. I did me. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Karen, for chatting with us today and for all you do for our military members, our veterans, and their families. I'm so excited to hear about all of the innovative and exciting things that you get to put into place in your new role and all of the wonderful things that are going to happen for you in this new year. And thank you listeners for tuning in. This podcast wouldn't be possible without your support. So I really do appreciate you listening every week as I chat with incredible women who are doing extraordinary things. I'll see you next Friday for another edition of Two Gals and a Mic.